want to thank all my listeners for listening to episode number 29 of Preston Jensen's podcast. I've got a very special guest tonight. Um, I actually found this channel uh, after he made a comment on one of my videos on YouTube. Uh, it's Phil and uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Neesmith or Naismith? Oh, you got it, man. Neesmith. Neesmith. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah. deal. Well, uh, like I was telling you before we started recording here, um, I dove into your channel and I thought, you know what? It's in English, but all of the stuff that you're talking about is very foreign to me. Uh, tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and what it's about. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> I'm actually a, what, what we call an agile coach and, uh, Agile, you know, I would, we would say other agile coaches would say it's a mindset, but, uh, you know, for your, your listeners and for yourself, you can think about it as a, a collection of, uh, innovation methods, uh, that, that came about, uh, about 25, 30 years ago. And it's really over that time revolutionized information technology. And, uh, originally these, these methods, um, were used uh, to increase the success rate in software development, um, improve quality and speed to market of software products. Uh, and a lot of these methods uh, also have the benefit of boosting motivation and productivity of information technology teams. So um, it's started to expand beyond uh, Information technology now, um, NPR uses uh, these methods to, you know, generate some of their new programming. Um, manufacturers use different methods that would be encompassed under what we call, quote unquote, agile. Um, development of fighter jets and even restaurants. Um, so there's a, a lot of different methods involved, uh, a lot of different philosophies and values and, and approaches and, and just ways to organize work, ways to collaborate, um, ways to treat employees better, believe it or not. Uh, and all of those things together create this uh, universe of uh, agility. So I'm a, I'm a coach uh, that helps organizations uh, learn and implement these ways of working and thinking both all the way down at the team level, developing and helping build teams all the way up to, you know, the higher leadership levels of the company and, and basically changing the way companies work. Okay. So would you say the overall goal of, of this is efficiency? Um, efficiency plays into it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's more about, um, creating the highest quality product that customers actually want. Okay. And, and doing that in, uh, in a time frame that would be much shorter than a normal way of working. Um, so instead of just having a big plan, say, uh, let's say we want to build a fighter jet, right? Okay. And you said, you want a fighter jet that, I don't know, it, it flies fast and, and, and does something. And then uh, you say, okay, we can do that. It's going to take us two years to do it. We'll show it to you when we're done, right? Two years from now, I show you the jet we made, and it is nothing like what you envisioned in your mind. You're the customer, right? Okay. And you're like, well, thanks for the effort, but this, it doesn't look like what I wanted, and uh, 
don't think it can actually do what I want. You know, what I thought I wanted, what I told you that I wanted, I, I used the wrong language. That's not even really what I wanted, right? So we've now wasted two years of time, effort, money to make this thing. So under this new way of working, I'm very simplifying this. We would, we would start, what do you think you want? And then basically make a little bit of it and then check back in with you. Hey, how's this looking? Do you like this? Is this something you can use? And you would say, yeah, no. Or a lot of times what we would show you would actually generate more ideas in your mind. And you can say, oh, well, now that I see this, let's add this thing on or let's make okay. it do this. And basically we build the thing together over smaller increments. And then in the end, it would take less time and you're going to get something that you're going to be exact, you know, awesomely thrilled about much quicker and much, much cheaper. And everybody's just happier in, so, that, in that. So much more efficient and a much better overall product, basically. Yeah. Okay. So when you said IT, when you were talking about IT, uh, can this play roles in other things like uh, even teams like athletic teams, something like that? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I had a IT career that started in 2000 uh, when I got out of the Army. Okay. And uh, I was a network guy, network, you know, geek, you know, in the server room with lots of server racks and all this other kind of stuff. And I'd started hearing things about agile and other, you know, methods within that space and knew that it had to do with software development. I'm like, I'm not a software developer. I have nothing to do with that. So I didn't pay attention to it. Uh, then a handful of years ago, I was on a project that wasn't doing too well. And we had some new people that joined us that had come from a company that was working in agile ways and said, hey, we should use this method that we called Scrum and, and all this stuff. And we were like, what, what, what are you talking about? And uh, anyway, long story short, we ended up getting sent to training and I was totally against it. I was like, this is going to be BS. This is just a bunch of buzzword driven stuff. Uh, and within 15, 20 minutes, fireworks went off in my head. And I was like, this is exactly what we did when I was with 10 special forces group in the army. Okay. Cause it was talking about cross-functional teams, these small teams of people that had the, these skills that supported each other and they were self-managing. You didn't have a boss telling people what to do. You gave the team a goal and it was their job to figure out how to do it. Right. And I was like, it was just second nature. And it was re really exciting to have all of this military experience like click and, and all of these things I'd done through all of those years um, were things I really enjoyed, but didn't know that there was a civilian application for any of that. And I didn't have the civilian language to talk about it. And suddenly it was right here. And that's what really lit the fuse for me to go down this part of my career path. That's kind of neat. So in the military, do they have a different word or a different term for this process? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's completely different, but yep. you know, the con, the concept concept is the same. the same. Okay. And I, and I basically I started out as a, a role that's called a scrum master, which is a weird sounding name. Uh, scrum is a, is a method of working a framework. Uh, and the scrum master is kind of like the expert for the team uh, to help them um, work in this way of working the best way and, 
uh, do some other things. I don't, I don't want to bore you too much. Oh, with all this of that. isn't boring to me. This is all interesting <laughs> stuff here. <laughs> um, that, you know, it, it's kind of like we say it's a servant leader for the team, but basically you're, you're kind of like a servant leader, you're a trainer, you're a coach, uh, all of these things rolled into one for the team that's actually doing the work. Um, so you're kind of like the agile expert. Uh, you help them uh, remove problems. You help them uh, discover the answers to their own questions uh, in, in a couple of different ways. But the thing that I thought was really interesting, the reason why it really resonated with me is because most of those core things that a scrum master does is exactly what a sergeant does in the army. And having been a sergeant, I was like, this is exactly what I did for soldiers, except for, you know, not having the authority to, you know, get in people's butt and, yep, and holler yep. at them and make them do push-ups and those kinds yep. of things. Right. But the whole thing about taking care of people, making sure they have what they need, making sure that, uh, you know, help them understand what goals are and how to get there and, and help people solve problems and those type of things. It just totally aligned. Um, and what had become kind of a dull IT career for me, information technology career for me, because I'd just become bored with it, suddenly became completely new and exciting. And um, it was uh, just a really cool transformation, and it's led to, to where I'm at now. It sounds like a really cool transformation. And you know what? I've got to be 100% honest with you. Uh, this is the reason I asked you to be on the show is because I was looking through your little bio or about section on YouTube and I saw this, this little, I don't know if it's your mission statement or what, but it says Phil is driven by a personal desire to help everyone become the best leaders they can be and achieve outstanding team-based accomplishments. And I read that and I thought, I have got to connect with this guy. I got to see if I can get him on the show. And that's uh, really cool. You bring that up because, uh, all the stuff you're talking about is basically encompassed in your mission statement there. So, um, I'm glad that I'm staying on, on script. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's uh, it, it, it works out perfect that way. Uh, some of your other things you're interested in here, it says you're a commercial cave guide, U S army paratrooper, department of defense contractor, professional fine artist, university art instructor, and NASCAR racetrack builder. Sounds like you've done just about everything. <laughs> Yeah, that's my that's my whole uh, working life arc. You know, the, that, that's the, amazing. The cave guide, that was my first that was my first paying job when I was in high school was okay. uh, being a cave guide and that that's pretty much my arc of of the things that I've I've done there. Yeah. Well, what uh what was the coolest thing you got to experience while being a cave guide? Oh man, you know, that's where I um I think that's where I first uh, got the taste of one kind of like being an entertainer in a way. Okay. And it's really interesting because I am super shy and I was really shy back then. And uh, I'm an introvert as well. Uh, but there was something about, there was a entertainment aspect to it. Um, I really liked just the uh, science aspect of caves and that led into the realization that I really liked helping people understand stuff, being a teacher, sharing yep. information. Um, and that was, it's repeated through my life since then. So 
in the Army, my last assignment in the Army, I was an instructor at the U.S. Army Intelligence School. Um, uh, you know, I was a civilian uh, college uh, instructor for a while. And then what I do now is a, has a heavy uh, teaching and, and mentorship component to it. So that's, that's where I first uh, kind of got that spark. Okay, that's that's very neat. Uh, and for all my listeners here, uh, you got to check out the video Phil did on. Um, I, what's the title of this video? You it, it was about forty four minutes long, and you talked about your military experience. Uh, oh and, yeah. Uh, I guess I don't have the title pulled up, but I'm going to definitely leave a link in the description of this podcast because it's. Uh, uh, I clicked into it. I thought uh, 44 minutes long. I don't know if I'm going to sit through this. And when it was done, it was like, man, that went by in three minutes because it was such an interesting story. So I want to encourage yeah, all my listeners pu- to uh, uh, definitely check out that video. So yeah, I'm pulling it up here. It's it's called. It's actually the first video I did. Preston. Okay. Wow. And, that's amazing. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that you brought that one up because it's the one that is the. Uh, uh, it's rough, man. It's rough. Oh, no. Um, I, uh, well, th- that's another thing I was going to bring up here, too. As far as your YouTube setup goes, even your set, your lighting, and everything has gotten so dialed in. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've done to improve your even your set of your YouTube channel right now. Oh, man. You know, I mean, I, I don't think it's that good compared uh, to, you know, what a lot of people have out there. I, I'm definitely not trying to be a YouTuber. Uh, I'll put that out. Um, and, you know, that video you mentioned is is an agile mindset just for technology. Okay. Uh, and it is a story from, from Bosnia and stuff. But anyway. And like um, I said, uh, that'll be linked below in the uh, show notes here. So uh, definitely check that out. Um. I just, you know, I'm not trying to be a YouTuber mm-hmm. uh, f- for one thing, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I think about, I spend a lot of time on YouTube looking for stuff and, and, and watching things. Some of it is about self-education. Some of it's for entertainment, whatever. Um, and I just thought about the, the, the videos I like to watch. You know, yep. it's not just about the content. It's like, well, is it, is it fun to watch too? Um, so I've just tried to, to make things better, but I will say this, uh, everything that I've done visually and uh, technologically, uh, which is how we got connected. Right. Uh, you had a video about the, the Roadcaster Pro, um, has all been for my work. So all of this came about uh, with the COVID situation and suddenly having to do everything I do, which was very physical centric, being co-located with the people, talking to people, having training sessions in person, uh, coaching sessions in person, all of this stuff, suddenly having to do it in the virtual environment and, and not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do it. Uh, so I was like, well, I need to look at what YouTubers are doing. I need to look at what streamers are doing. I need to look at what gamers are doing. Yep. What technology are they using? What are they doing? And that's how all of this has come about. It's, it's all about me trying to, to do my profession, uh, for all of the, the people I serve in the highest quality way. Um, I immediately went to a, 
a remote uh, facilitation workshop like two weeks, three weeks after our company dispersed everybody. And I realized I don't know how to do my job this way. Uh, I, I have no idea what to do. It was like my magic dust had been stolen from me. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, so I, I sought out a workshop, a remote facilitation workshop and got exposed to a lot of things there. And one of the things was about the quality of video that you broadcast, the quality of your audio, like your lighting, all of this stuff had a direct impact on the person's experience on the other end. Absolutely. And, you know, it was like, okay, well, the, the built-in webcam in my camera is not going to cut it anymore. And, yep. the, and the really bad built-in mic just, I mean, that's, I was sitting in those meetings and <laughs> I didn't like participating in them. Right. Y you know what I'm saying? So it was like, uh, you know, I've got to do something. And that's, that's where all of this came from. And the background, it's like, there's a lot of knowledge acquisition uh, in this line of work. And I'm constantly, um, trying to motivate and influence the people that I, that I coach and work with to not just listen to what I might be able to pass on to you and, and other coaches I work with, but to be seeking out this knowledge on your own through books. And I, so I always have a lot of books back here and I, I reference a lot of things. So I think people enjoy seeing me reach back and grab a book and actually like go to something. Uh, so the background is functional. It's a real thing. Um, uh, but yeah, just trying to make it more interesting and engaging for, for every day. I'm in front of this camera right here in front of this background, using all of this equipment, uh, all day long from about seven o'clock in the morning to, to five o'clock in the afternoon every day. And before COVID, you were always on site. You never did any remote training at all. That's right. Oh, wow. That's a, that's quite a change. So, uh, and, and then the, the YouTube channel is just an extension of that. There, there's just things that, um, I was like, well, I can just, I can reach more people that I'm not coaching every day, right? People absolutely. that I'm being paid yep. to coach. Yep. I can help other people, uh, specifically scrum masters. It's kind of a, a place in my heart that rolls. So I, I kind of see myself as kind of being a, a, maybe a scrum master mentor. So a lot of my videos are kind of geared toward people in that role. Um, so do you ever foresee yourself branching off in any other directions on your YouTube channel, or are you going to only put out scrum master videos from here on out? Ah, uh, man, that's, I mean, it would be my life experience would tell me it's very foolish to say that's the only thing I'm going to do. Right. Yep. <laughs> Can't lock yourself yeah. down. It's, uh, you know, I, I will say the videos, um, are very difficult for me. Um, I, I'm not a filmmaker. I, I don't have this desire to, Oh, I've got to make a video. Mm -hmm. uh, I discovered that very early on. Um, I hate talking to cameras. Like, so here talking to you is great because I'm having a conversation with you. Right. But I, to try to make my videos conversational when I'm sitting in this room by myself, looking at these cameras is, is very difficult. Uh, for me, it, it's not natural and it makes me very conscious of what I'm doing and it's hard to speak. I lose train of thought and all of this stuff. Um, so I, I would say I don't enjoy certain aspects of creating the videos. There's 
aspects of the post-production editing stuff that I kind of get into. Um, and then it, it makes me wish, oh, I wish I'd have filmed another part of something, right? So it's kind of weird. It's a, it's a uh, positive negative as far as creating the videos. Yep. Um, and then, you know, once they're out there, um, like I said, I'm not really trying to be a YouTuber, so I don't really focus on traffic and views and all that stuff too much. I mean, I, I want people to see the stuff. I had a, um, uh, somebody I'll mention, uh, Chris Williams of the badass agile podcast. Okay. Uh, which, you know, you may have listeners I'll, out there. Uh, yeah. They, we'll they, definitely have to check know it out. about that. Uh, I joined a program of his this past year, which was a leadership program. And he said something at one point about it's, it doesn't matter how many people show up, right? Meaning how many people show up to your YouTube channel, if that's what you're doing mm -hmm. or podcast or, or whatever it happens to be. But the people that show up are the right people for right then. I like that. And that, uh, that resonates with me too, because, uh, I'm a small YouTube channel. I'm a small podcast, but, uh, you know, I'm doing it for the people who are watching. So, uh, I, that's a, that's a great uh, lesson learned. Yeah. You know, and I've had a, a couple of people have reached out uh, either on LinkedIn or whatever and have, have said some really positive things, which, which are always nice. Right. But it's the ones that say, you know what? I, I watched this video that you made and I thought it was interesting, but then the very next day or two days later, I ran into a situation where this really helped me out. And it was like score. Yep. Like it, that's only happened a couple of times, one or two, maybe three people have reached out and said something like that. And, and that's worth it. I agree. Uh, any comments I get on my videos, it's the same thing. It's like, Oh man, that's kind of cool. I, I might've helped someone out there. So, uh, that's, uh, and hopefully I helped sway your decision a little bit, I guess on the roadcaster pro. Uh, speaking of that, what do you think of the Roadcaster Pro now that we're on this? I, I think it, it's great. Yep. Uh, and your video, um, I was already looking into it, um, and I'd kind of already made my mind up. I was going to spend the money on it, but I didn't know if it was going to do what I wanted it to do, right? Yep. So uh, where I'm currently working, uh, we can't use Zoom, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Uh, Cause I love it. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it, it's really great. We, we, we are forced to use a thing called WebEx, which is another video kind of teleconferencing thing. Um, but I just didn't know if it would work with those types of uh, platforms. Right. Mm -hmm. So I immediately went to YouTube. I'm like, surely somebody's figured this out or done it or whatever. <laughs> and yours was the only video I could find. Yeah. I was, uh, that was me figuring it out live. Basically <laughs> I was, I had my wife upstairs and I was just trying to monkey with things, trying to figure things out. And, uh, I'm glad people appreciated it. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I already had it in my shopping cart yep. and I watched that. I was like, okay, cool. This guy, I've seen enough. It will do what I needed to do. And I, and I purchased it right then. And, uh, I love it. It's working out really awesome. Uh, I make a lot of use of the sound pads, uh, in my, all the stuff I do, uh, just to, to make stuff more interesting. 
which is really funny because I mean, I'm working in a 18, 20,000 person company. Okay. Right. Um, that is pretty uh, conservative. And I love busting out with all kinds of stuff I've recorded and, and things <laughs> like that. People aren't just aren't used to that kind of kind of thing, right? So I make heavy use of the sound pads. The rest of it is just for my audio stuff feeding into mm -hmm. the video sessions. Uh, there's so much capability that you know I, I told you in a in a message that I'm not making use of. Right. Uh, so in that way, it's kind of a shame. I have thought about maybe doing pod cast kind of stuff a little bit later. Um, but I, I definitely, mean, it's, it's worked, it's worked out really great for me. I love it. I was telling my wife, I feel like everyone should have their own YouTube channel and everyone should have their own podcast because everyone's got a unique perspective on things and uh, you never know who needs to hear it. So, uh, I think you definitely should get a podcast going, but I'll warn you that, uh, just like recording, uh, making videos, talking to a camera, uh, that's weird. Uh, talking to a microphone and trying to record a podcast by yourself is just as weird. So be prepared for that. Uh, that's why I found out early on with my podcast, uh, I need to get guests on so I can talk to somebody and keep a conversation flowing without uh, forgetting what I'm talking about, like you were, de like you were describing in the making videos segment. Yeah, I find that, I, I mean, I had a conversation with someone, um, maybe it was last week or the week before, I, d I don't remember. And we got to talking about like my going to art school and getting an art degree, which is in sculpture. And we had this conversation and on, I said, Hey, you know, people, I quit. I took a break from my IT career in 2008 to go to get a bachelor's of fine art in sculpture. And when I walked into the, the conference room to tell everybody I was leaving, they thought I was just going to another job. And I said, no, I'm, I'm quitting. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I'm going to art school. I got accepted to one of the top sculpture schools in the country. I, I'm going to get a sculpture degree. And people thought I was kidding. And I was like, no, I'm serious. And people said, well, what are you going to do with a sculpture That's degree? Awesome. And I was like, I've made it this far in life without a degree. What am I not going to do with it? Right. Yeah, right? That's awesome. And, and I went and did that and I realized, wow, you know, making art is all about communication and problem solving. So what do you want to communicate? How are you going to communicate it? What materials are you going to use? I mean, it's all of these things that are relevant to, to everyday stuff. Right. And anyway, had this big conversation with this friend of mine about this and how it led into, you know, fabricating NASCAR race trucks and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then we were using some agile work methods there, uh, Kanban manufacturing methods that no one knew about. I didn't know what they were, but intuitively from my previous, uh, you know, IT work, I knew enough to get some of this stuff going in the race shop and get this, 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 part of this NASCAR team working in, in some of these methods that have now become, you know, a major part of my career, but all of that through going to do something that seemed illogical, right? Oh, that's an awesome story. Yeah. I was looking at, uh, you were talking, that's your arc that, uh, when I brought up all the things you were involved with, it says you were an artist and then you were an art instructor. Did you go straight from school to being an instructor? 
so what had happened was uh, I had gotten into photography back in middle school. I had an art teacher in middle school that that made a little black and white dark room film dark room in a closet. And uh, I'd been doing black and white film photography since then. Uh, started taking it more seriously shortly before I went to uh, Iraq as a government contractor in 2003. Um, and that's where I really started taking it seriously. So I, uh, you know, was trying to re record a lot of uh, things from my experience there. Uh, and what had happened was when I came back, I decided, well, life was too short not to do all the things you wanted to do. Took my art more seriously, ended up getting uh, some representation by a nice, uh, well-known art gallery in Washington, D.C. at the time. My first solo show was uh, work from my time in Iraq. Um, so I had this kind of art career that just suddenly started on its own prior to going to get the sculpture degree. Um, wow. <laughs> which again, again, it's like, what does that have to do with photography? Um, and then what happened was I was teaching photography at Virginia State University and, and built out their film darkroom, believe it or not, as most colleges were getting rid of their chemical photography. I was building up the chemical photography capability at this university because that's what I worked in was, um, some chemical photography methods. Okay. So I was teaching at the university while I was getting a sculpture degree at another university Holy cow! <laughs> and continued to teach a little bit after I finished all that up. That sounds like it's nearly impossible to be able to balance that kind of uh, workload. How did you do something like that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, was, I was a little, I was a little younger yeah. then. Um, but I, I think that age does have a lot to do with it. I mean, I was in an undergrad program, mm -hmm. so most of the people that I was in school with were people right out of high school. Oh, wow. Um, so one, one thing that I noticed was my work ethic and focus on what I was there to do was way different than a lot of my classmates, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was pretty interesting to, to experience. And there were a couple of other people, so I was a a veteran, although I'd been out of the army for a little while by the time I went to school, uh, I had a classmate, um, that was also a veteran and we were both, I remember we were in our first sculpture class together and we're like the oldest dudes in there <laughs> and all the, all the kids, I'll call them kids. All, yep. all the other people in the class were looking at us thinking, Oh, is this, this our instructors? You know? <laughs> uh, but he was a veteran too, became a really good friend. Uh, he actually did little bit of the illustration of my last YouTube video. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I was going to ask you about that. That's uh, a pretty neat feature you've been adding. Uh, is that something he always does or? Uh, uh, yeah, that that's what he does. So oh, wow. we were, we were uh, in the same art program together. And when it became time to declare a major, I went to sculpture, he went to illustration. Um, so that's, that's what he does. If I, um, if I remember right, is it the latter illustrations? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Very. Yeah, he, did, he did my logo too. The logo that I have oh, now. Oh, awesome. Beginning. Yep. Yeah, That's so he, all he of it is very well done. So, uh, for my listeners, you'll definitely have to check out the channel so you can see some of the stuff he's talking about here. And did I hear you wrong, or did you say NASCAR truck builder? Yeah, that's right. Okay, I th I I misread that in your thing. I I thought it said NASCAR track builder. 
And no, so I, no. I was, uh, so what kind of trucks or what, I, I'm not a NASCAR uh, guy, so I guess what goes into that? Uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. The, the NASCAR truck series is uh, still kind of like really what it used to be. And I come from a NASCAR family. My, okay. my, my uncle was one of the last uh, owner drivers in, in what used to be the Winston Cup Series, so the highest level. Now it's called what? I don't know who the sponsor is now. But uh, um, I you know, had grown up around all of that, but it wasn't, I, I, you know, it was like, I would go to my uncle, aunt and uncle and cousins in the summer. And me and my cousin would like hang around the shop and clean up and wash the 18 wheeler and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, but my cousin being my uncle's son, like it was part of the family business for him. Um, and anyway, moved to Ohio and was looking for some work as I was also part-time teaching and trying to like make a living. Um, cousin reached out to me, knew I'd done sculpture stuff. He needed somebody that could uh, do some carbon fiber and Kevlar uh, crafting. And uh, so, so yeah, I went over and helped with that for about two years um, on a championship team. And, oh, wow. Uh, really cool. So it, it's very, really interesting. There's a lot of, uh, those vehicles are pretty much built from, from the ground up by hand, which I don't think a lot of people know. I, I had n no idea. I, I would guess they were just manufactured at a, <laughs> but no, uh, that's a hundred percent by hand then, huh? Yeah. It's all hand, uh, one off really. Um, the only thing that's like commercially available uh, other than individual components, mechanical components is the is the nose the front end in in the tailgate right are pre-molded and and put on everything in between is is made you know from raw material you know from the the chassis roll cage all that and uh what my cousin and i did we we basically hand fabricated the bodies on that so that oh all my. came from flat sheet metal that was all hand hand uh bent and shaped and and applied and, and all of that. So it was really interesting, like being a sculptor, right? Right. Yeah. That's, it's amazing how that translates into, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like that. And, and there was a lot of things I was doing, uh, on the carbon fiber side and, and all of that, which was really informed by, you know, my art education, like mm -hmm. just the aesthetics of stuff. Like I, I always tell, I would tell the guys, look, if it looks fast, it will be fast. <laughs> right. And was that always the case? Uh, yeah, pretty yeah, much, okay. you know? <laughs> and, uh, so it was really cool. We'd put these things together and, um, stand back. And I, I would make comments all the time. Like, guys, this is, you guys don't realize how incredible this is. This is stuff that most people have no ideas happening. Like you see on, you know, Fox sports or whatever, you see the race on Saturday or Friday night, whenever they would broadcast it. And, and most people would have no idea the, the amount of work, you know, we could, we could put one of those bodies together in six days, you know, two or three of us. And then it goes into the paint shop, mechanical guys and all of that. But, you know, it's, it, it was, I would stand back. And I was like, guys, this is sculpture. You guys are artists, right? You know, like no one realizes that this is being made from just fl flat pieces of, of steel that are being, 
you know, handcrafted into this thing. I had absolutely no idea. I, and so how many of these trucks would you make for one team? I suppose you'd have to make several cause they'd crash them. I, I suppose, yeah, yeah, huh? yeah. So it's like a complete, it's a rotation, right? You have yep. different trucks for different tracks and they have different, they're not all the same. The, they're all built to um, produce certain aerodynamic uh, characteristics. So where you put two trucks side by side, they may look the same, but once you start measuring things, the bodies aren't on straight and all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a, like a stable of trucks and they're just kind of rotating through and you're working on a truck that's going to be used two races from now, or you're, you know, fixing one that just got busted and, and that kind of thing. So, so then you I, kind I of, di did you dial it into which trucks were better than the others or were you trying to make them look exactly the same? Uh, well, from the, from the grandstands, you know, from yep. the TV cameras and stuff, they all look the same. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you get closer, you, you might could tell, you know, that there's something a little bit different with the body, the back end kicks out a little bit more here or there, but you know, from the spectator's point of view, they all look the same. Uh, what's interesting is so compared to, uh, you know, the other, the top echelon of, of NASCAR now, the cars are kind of like kit cars. Okay. All of the components are kind of pre-made and they, each team kind of assembles it. So there's still assembly, but less craft, less, uh, you know, hand making from the ground up. Okay. So okay. the truck series still has a lot of that, which is, it, it's like the last ones to do that before it's very kind of standardized. Um, but one thing about, you know, making the trucks the same, uh, they do have a, a dirt track. It's called Eldora, which is in the truck series, which is really interesting. The rest of them are all asphalt, you know. Uh, those trucks, we would always laugh. Those are not the trucks you'd want to run your hand down the side of because oh. they're, very, they're very rough. They're not as finished as the other ones, right? So, yep. you know, we'd always say you might get catch a, a, a metal splinter in your hand or something because – those trucks get beat up really bad. So oh. I put a lot of work into it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, well, I'm kind of picturing the fancy uh, car commercials right now where they put those cars that look aerodynamic into that wind tunnel and they've got the smoke going over top of them. Did you use anything like that when you're building? Not when we were building, okay. uh, but they, they definitely take uh, trucks to the wind tunnel uh, and, and cars too. Uh, they would take the trucks to the wind tunnel uh, a couple of times a year. And you uh, said your truck was a championship truck or you're yeah. on a championship team. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, what was the team name? Uh, it was uh, the uh, Menards truck Menards? for uh, Thorport, Thor sport racing. Okay. Awesome. I'll, I'll have to do some research after this. I'll have to check that out and say, I know the guy who helped build that. So yep. that's Matt pretty Crafton's cool. The, Matt, Matt Crafton is the driver number 88. Okay. I'll have to look that up. Um, so you said the NASCAR cars, they're not necessarily as handcrafted as the trucks. Uh, not, not anymore. Not, anymore. not at the, uh, not at the uh, top level. Okay. Well, uh, learn something new every day. I absolutely knew nothing about NASCAR before this conversation. So now, uh, now I know a little bit and about I, it. So. And I, let me just put this out there. I'm not, I don't know anything either. Okay. Right? So, uh, <laughs> well, that, you know, that's like, amazing. If that, you wanted, that. if you wanted to have a really good NASCAR conversation, you'd have to get my cousin on here. Okay. Uh, but, 
you know, it was, it was a fun two years. Um, I got to teach those guys some stuff. They taught me some stuff and, uh, I was definitely the, the outsider. It was, it was funny because, uh, when they first met me, they thought I must have, uh, had lots of experience somewhere in the industry for my cousin to bring me in because my cousin's pretty well known in, okay. in that, in those circles. And, uh, all of the guys at the shop were freaked out when I said, Hey man, I don't know anything. I, what, what am I, what do you need me to do? But you, know? you knew how to sculpt and that's all they needed. So uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's so. pretty cool. Well, um, like the training for scrum, what do you have to do to become a considered a scrum master? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, you can take a two day class and, and pass a very simple test and you can get a piece of paper oh, <laughs> that says and, you're a certified scrum master. Okay. Uh, and, and those classes are good. Mm -hmm. They, they focus on the fundamentals, the mechanical aspects of what a scrum team does, kind of how they operate and what the scrum master would do on a, on a very fundamental level. Um, Putting all that into application is something different. And uh, I, I would say, you know, there's some personality traits that someone, uh, to be a really good scrum master, would probably already have. So I always, I talk to lots of people that are interested in being a scrum master, and I make time to talk to those folks. And I, I ask questions like, you know, do you have a teaching background? Were you ever involved in, uh, say, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, either as a member or as a, you know, adult helping, you know, uh, run all that stuff? Were, were you a little league coach? Um, were you in the military? You know, those kinds of things to, you know, look to see if there is a, already a, a seed of, liking to teach, liking to mentor, uh, liking to, to serve people, serve something greater than yourself. Um, because those are the hard things about being a scrum master. Those are things that you really can't teach, right? You can't get from a, a, a class or a certification right. course or boot camp and those type of things. So to say, how does one become a, a scrum master, <laughs> right? Yep. It's like there's training, um, there's experience and then, and then there's the, you know, the different levels going from, I'm a scrum, you know, this person's a scrum master, this person's a great scrum master. Yep. Right. And it's those, um, kind of intangible so, elements that, that make the difference. If you were going to give, uh, someone in high school who was aspiring to be a scrum master, some advice, what would be your best advice for someone just starting out? Well, I wonder if there, if the quote unquote scrum master would be around by the time someone worked themselves through say middle school, high school okay. and all of that. I don't think that's really important because well, a scrum master is, is a servant leader. Mm -hmm. Right. So think about, Think about what you need to do to build up leadership capability and what leadership is. In, in, in America, we have this idea that, you know, 
it's kind of default leadership is a, is a position, you know, the boss is the quote unquote leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've always lived the way that, you know, leadership is a choice. It's not a position. I've had lots and lots of bosses who were really crap leaders, right? <laughs> they knew nothing about leadership, right? Mm-hmm. They were great bosses. They could tell everybody yep. what to do and how to do it and, and, and all of that. Yep. But that's not what leadership is. Right. You know, so anyone can be a leader if they choose to, to be so. And obviously some people are better leaders than others, but just because you're not a good leader doesn't mean you're not a leader. Right. Right. And you can be a leader to the person next to you. You can be a leader of yourself. You can be a, a seen as a leader to three people. Right. And mm-hmm. then you may do really well and be the, the CEO and a great leader for a, for a worldwide corporation. Mm-hmm. But anybody can be a leader if, you know, they choose to do so. So I would say, look at those things, um, you know, try to build, see if you have a desire to serve something greater than yourself. Uh, being a scrum master is kind of like, I, I kind of like think about it as like wizard of Oz, but that kind of gives a bad impression because it makes it feel like you're pulling the levers and you're really not pulling the levers, but you are a person behind the curtain. Okay. Um, you know, you have to be a person that, uh, when the team does really well, you're probably not going to get any recognition for helping them get there. And you should be like really good with that. Right. You shouldn't get butt hurt over it. Right. You should be the person that's like, yes, they did it. They did an awesome job and that's your reward. Right. Yep. Uh, because if you're looking for personal reward for all of that, you're going to be, you're going to be telling people what to do. You're going to be way more in the front than you should be, uh, to be a, to be a good servant leader for a team. So, um, I would say a lot of these, a lot of these aspects, a lot of these skills and traits and and methods can be applied to if you wanted to be a manager of some type, right? All right. Um, So, you know, they're kind of universal. And and a lot of this came from, from my time in the army and I'm definitely, I'm not advocating everybody go into the army to learn how to do this, but I learned how to lead by example. And I learned that I, I was told as a private lead by example, I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole, but I need to be setting the example for my peers. Right? Yep. So all of that has translated into where I'm at now, 47, 48 years old. And and all of those very early lessons are applied today. And, you know, that all started with the ROTC in high school. So if you're out there in high school and you're wanting to get into this line of work, you need to you know, start learning about what leadership is. And well, I think that's all very great advice. Um, I know, I hope my listeners uh, enjoy this interview as much as I do. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I always have a fun little lightning round that I do at the end of each uh, podcast. So I'll ask a quick question and hopefully you've got, hopefully you've got an answer. Sometimes I've stumped a few people, but uh you know, and I thought I would have me a little glass of Jack Daniels here. It, <laughs> oh, they're all easy. Out. They're all, uh, it's all just opinion, but, uh, we'll get to okay. know a little bit more about you here. 
Favorite color? Uh, green. Favorite fast food chain? Um, not a big fast food person. Uh, or it could be any restaurant. Let's go with any restaurant. I like I like authentic Mexican food. Okay. Uh, so I can't say Taco Bell because that's not authentic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> How about, but, uh, uh, let's see here. I, I guess Paradiso wouldn't be authentic either, but uh, <laughs> I can't even think of an authentic uh, Mexican place. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I don't have an answer for you there. But yeah. uh, I'll write this next one. I'm glad uh, you said you had a background in cameras because uh, – my next one is focused on that. Sony, Canon, or Nikon? Oh, uh, well, I was diehard Nikon, film and digital, uh, until I got all of this set up for YouTube and, you know, the video conferences and stuff, and I'm really enjoying Sony right now. Okay. Uh, what are you using right now? I've got a pair of uh, Sony A6000s. Okay, awesome. That's basically what I use. I got the Sony uh, A6400, and I love it so far. I, I had to go cheap, so uh, I got the uh, I got the old models. <laughs> you, you, you said you got two of them, though? Yeah, I got two of them. That's, yeah. uh, that's something I really wish I had is that second camera yeah, because I, those I different angles are pretty nice. Yeah, see, so I'll show you. See? Oh, nice. You got, even got a switcher there. Uh, what do you yeah. use for that? Uh, ATM Mini. Eight, okay, awesome. I highly, I highly, uh, endorse that piece of equipment as well. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Um, well, have you seen the, uh, channel, the enthusiasm project? Uh, now it's switched to Tom Buck. I've had, uh, him, yes, I've had him on this show and, uh, I find a lot of my equipment on that channel. I, I find that very entertaining. Yeah. I actually watched a video by him, uh, not too long ago and I'd seen some before and I did see that you had him on the podcast. So awesome. Like, yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> it's cool when, uh, uh, everything ties together like that in the YouTube world. <laughs> yep. All right. If you could go back and have any other profession, what would it be? Uh, if I could go back and have any, profession I've done before. If you could, no, if you could, if you could start over and uh, you could do any other profession other than what you're doing now, what would you be into? Yeah. One, probably what is going to be my greatest regret is never, uh, becoming an archeologist. Okay. Uh, is that something you're looking at pursuing maybe in the future? Uh, no, not at this point. Okay. In, in <laughs> All right. Favorite actor. Oh, I don't really have one. Um, <laughs> uh, probably, probably Clint Eastwood. Okay. Back when he was making the spaghetti westerns and stuff. Okay. All right. If you could have anyone on your YouTube channel as a guest, who would it be? Uh, anybody. Clint Eastwood. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, and uh, what is the best piece of technology you've bought in 2020? 
Oh man, that's hard. As I look around at all the things I'm using. Right. Um, it's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, when I started YouTube, I didn't have any equipment and now it's like weekly I'm finding things that I'm trying to tell myself are needs, but they really aren't. So yeah. <laughs> it's a dangerous road to go down, I guess. Yeah. If, you know, I call this area here, my cockpit. And of course you can't see any of this stuff. Yep. I, you know, I've got a behind the scenes picture I share with some of the teams and stuff I work with because they have no idea what's on this side and all the screens and all the gadgets and stuff. Um, can you say the question one more time? Yep. Uh, what is the best piece of technology that you've purchased in 2020? The best. Um, man, I'm really happy with everything. I, I, I gotta say the, um, the Roadcaster Pro is awesome. I mean, it's kind of the central piece to yeah, what and, I'm doing here. And so. you know what? I think that would have to be my answer as well. I mean, other than the camera, um, that's a big necessity too for this kind of stuff. But uh, um, how about what do you use for lighting? Um, oh, I, I, that's something I need to upgrade. I've got a couple of uh, small LED light panels. Uh, yep. I don't. I think they're Neewer or something like okay, that. Okay, yep. I've got a little Neewer tripod here that I use on my table here. Uh, but, yeah, all this technology, it's uh, <laughs> its tough to say no to all this new stuff coming out. I didn't really want to say anything about the lights because uh, being a former photographer, I know how important light and light quality right. is. Yep. And it's interesting that that's the thing I skimped out on. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm, uh, I'm right there with you. I've got a brand called... Uh, I think it's called like Favitech or something like that. But uh, uh, that's something I'm also looking at uh, upgrading in the future. Uh, the last question we have for you here tonight is, um, if you could recommend a book for me and my listeners, what would it be? Ooh. I'm in, uh, I'm in the wow. middle of a book right now called Think Like a Monk. Uh, my last guest, uh, Valentina V, uh, recommended that, and it's, uh, very interesting read so far. So, uh, what would be your suggestion? Man, I got so many. <laughs> uh, um, well, you could go top three. You know, I for anyone out there wanting to know a little bit more about. Um, a different way to, uh, to lead, to, to really become, um, to get put on a path that, you know, a leader is not somebody that has all the answers and a leader is somebody that tells people what to do and how to do it and all of that. Um, I, I would say this book by, uh, David Marquet, turn the ship around. Okay. Um, would be a really good one. And, uh, there's, he's got a YouTube video out as well that kind of summarizes this whole book in about, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Um, but the book is really good too. Really good guy. Uh, he's actually interfaced with me a little bit on uh, LinkedIn. So oh, wow. That's like, that's like my claim to fame. But uh, real quick synopsis, basically, uh, uh, David trains for like a year to be the uh, captain of a nuclear submarine. 
he then finds out that he's not going to be the commander or the captain of that submarine, but a totally different one. And everything about the submarine is different. All the systems, everything, how the submarine operates, capabilities, everything. So he goes to take command of the submarine without really knowing anything about it. So he had to rely on the crew. So um, it's less about him giving commands and being open to the crew making decisions and, and that type of stuff. So it really feeds into a lot of what I do. Right. Um, so. Awesome. We will definitely have to check that out. I want and it's not, it's not technology related, so it's, it, it could be an interesting. That's all right. Yeah. Theme, a, you know? a good, uh, change of pace book for me there. Um, I want to thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule to come on my podcast. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again in the future, uh, sometime, um, for everyone listening, uh, if you'd like to reach out to Phil, uh, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, I would say, uh, find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, would probably be the best way. Um, awesome. I don't have uh, all the socials, all the Instagram mm-hmm. and, and all those other things that most people have. So, uh, LinkedIn would probably be the best way. And, uh, definitely check out his YouTube channel. I will have that linked in, uh, the show notes here. So, uh, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode and uh, we'll see you next week.